0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. I'm
1: a pediatrician, and the hospital group that I worked with did handle a lot of the unassigned babies. Mm-hmm. They were like, well, oh yeah, that baby's gonna be adopted out. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what agency is oh is, the, you know, is the baby with? And they're like, Hannah's Hope. And I was like, oh, you know, I just signed up with them. Wow. And now they're, they're like, I was like, would it be funny if I took this baby home? They're like, oh, um, Dr. Hogg, that's hilarious. That would be funny. So I get a call from the director of the agency the next day, Um, we might have a baby for you. And she's like, and you've seen this baby because I see your name in the chart. They called me back a little later, like, okay, well, the mom thinks you'd be a good choice. We need you to go get a car seat. We need you to go get a car seat so you can take the baby home. I'm like, did we not mention that we needed you to take the baby home today? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Today. Today.
2: From Christianity Today, you're listening to Adopting Hope, a podcast about adoptive, foster, and spiritual
3: mothering. I'm Joyce koo And I'm Sasha Parker. We're both moms, and we're both adoptive moms. And on each episode of our show, you'll hear from a mom and sometimes a dad about their journey in adoption and foster care.
2: Our hope is that this podcast provides hope and encouragement as you hear these stories, whether you're an adoptive, foster, or spiritual mother yourself, an adoptee, or someone who just wants to
3: encourage and love adoptive and foster parents. These stories are all windows into the gospel, the story of a God who adopts us and loves us with a redeeming love and whose love empowers and compels us to extend that love through the unique joys and challenges that come from adoption and foster care. Thanks for tuning in. We
2: pray this encourages you as you listen. We have a bonus episode today featuring a single Christian mother. The cover story of Christianity Today's April issue is about single parenting by choice. It's a recognition that more unmarried people are fostering and adopting than ever before. And how can the church support the hard work they're doing? If you're a single foster or adoptive parent and you're listening to this episode, we want you to know that we see you and we applaud the parenting work that you're doing. We're so excited to have Dr. Janine Hogg join us today. She is a pediatrician who adopted a daughter later in life. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Janine. We are so happy that you joined us out of your busy schedule, Mm because I know as a single mom and you are a pediatrician as well, you are very busy. Um, So thank you for your time today.
1: And well, thank you for having me.
2: So tell us a little bit about when you first started thinking about adoption. How did that come about for you?
1: So, um, you know, and it's interesting because obviously I'm a pediatrician, so I've always like, you mm-hmm. know, love kids, get along with kids mm-hmm. well, have always had a heart for children and frankly, always wanted to be a pediatrician. And part of the whole like going to medical school, going to residency, doing all of that, um, it's not a great thing in terms of like regular social and family life. So it's kind mm-hmm. of one of those things for a lot of people, if you end up not married and starting a family Mm -hmm. before you start medical school. It's really hard to kind of pick that up in the middle of medical school and residency Mm -hmm. just because you don't have time. And so I kind of always knew I wanted to like have kids, Mm -hmm. be a mom, have a family, you know, Mm -hmm. be married, that whole nine yards. But it's kind of just in the course of my regular, like going through my life and Mm -hmm. eh, this just did never happen. And I kind Mm -hmm. of always, If I, if I got to a certain age and I didn't have any kids, Mm -hmm. I was going to adopt a child. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kept pushing the age back. So initially it was like, well, if I get to like 32 (laughs) and I haven't gotten married and have kids, I'll adopt. And then I was like, well, if I get to 35 (laughs) and I haven't gotten married and have kids, I'll adopt. And then it was like, well, if I get to 40. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And And So when
2: did you adopt your, you have a little girl?
1: Yes. I'm Rebecca and she, I was 40 well I was a couple of weeks couple of weeks shy of my 43rd birthday mm. and she is six now oh. so um six going on 36 yeah <laughs> quite the um little child full of mm. staff but mm-hmm. uh, in a good way I mean yes. she's just very vocal and playful and mm-hmm. wants to talk about everything so mm-hmm. it's like talking to a little shrunk down version of myself yeah And particularly, like I said, in my situation, because I don't have a lot of family around, Mm -hmm. most of the time, if I didn't take care of her, I had to pay someone, like I had to pay for a babysitter Mm -hmm. or pay for someone to take care of her because I didn't have anyone locally to help Mm -hmm. me. So so as a result, she kind of spent a lot of time around adults and spent a lot of time with me in her first, like, I'd say first two years of life because it was just, you know, yeah. I didn't really stop doing right. it.
2: I just can't let her roll with me. Tell us from the kind of the beginning of kind of the adoption journey to get her like there are a lot of decisions mm-hmm. of like, where do you adopt from, how old, right. gender, all of that. So tell us about that process mm-hmm. for you.
1: So I kind of started be, just based on, like, knowing a lot of people in my community that had uh, were adoptive parents. It kind of gave me a little bit of my, okay, I'll go ahead and do this. And initially, one of my girlfriends was like, oh, you should probably start with a two-year-old. Uh-huh. She's like, this is a good age? Uh-huh. She's like they can, you can put them in school. And she had, like, she had adopted a child who was like, you know, be a foster care when she was about two. Initially, that was kind of like my thought. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, but the babies are like, you know, as a pediatrician, I'm like, babies are like my favorite thing. Um, So I kind of got more interested and I, you know, made the decision. I kind of definitely wanted to try to do an infant adoption. Honestly, a lot of what ruled my decision in terms of like, you know, Private adoption or adoption, you know, adoption through an agency versus adopting through foster care. Some of that was based on my job, honestly, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. As, as a pediatrician, I was working in the Memphis area, I kind of didn't want to necessarily adopt through foster care you know, and I always warn people about this, adoption can feel very invasive at times. Whether, you know, however you're adopting, whether it's through foster care, private agency, you know, people are asking you very, all these intimate details about your family structure and your life and your finances. And ultimately, I didn't necessarily want to go through foster care because as a pediatrician, I actually had had to interact with people in the foster care system yeah. professionally. Mm -hmm. And I kind of didn't necessarily want to cross those streets,
3: so to speak. When you announced that you were going to be adopting, did you find a lot of support from your family and your community? Were people rallying around you or was there some pushback? Well, you know, there was a
1: little bit of pushback from a work standpoint. Yeah. I mean, kind of like, you know, what do you mean you're going to have a kid? Wait, yeah. that's going to make it harder to for you. <laughs> so there was a tiny bit of pushback, like from work, and. You know, at the time, my mother initially had a little bit of pushback, Mm -hmm. but then she kind of warmed up to the idea and she was fine with Mm -hmm. it. And then like in terms of my friends and family, they were, you know, they were all very supportive. And like I said, but I think a lot of that is just because I already had so many people in my community, like my circle of friends and community who had some experience with adoption. Mm -hmm. And
2: there is a growing number of singles who are adopting these days. And I think agencies and other uh, organizations have more resources and have more experience with single people who are adopting. Did you find that it was relatively smooth or easy or did you find that you had more challenges because you're adopting as a single person?
1: I could honestly say one of the very first conversations I had with the director of the adoption agencies that I went through, Hannah's Hope, one of my very first conversations with her about that was, is this going to be more difficult for me as a single person to adopt? And, you know, and her response was, you should be fine. She's like, you know, honestly, because you're a doctor too, like, you know, she's like, I think people, most moms who come to us, they just want to know that their child is going to be somewhere where they'll get the things that they need and have a good life. And even though you're single, you know, she's like, one, you know, not everybody who's single stays single permanently. And then like two, you're someone who's single, who's not struggling. And so people may look at that a little differently than if you kind of were, Someone who is single and a teacher, which she's like, I know that sounds unfair, but she's like, I don't think you'll and like. So she basically was framing it like, I don't think you'll have a problem mm-hmm. adopting as mm-hmm. a single person. Yeah, she's like there are some challenges sometimes with that. Mm-hmm. And that's be- um, in terms of.
2: The birth mother, in your case, was choosing a family to place their child in. And so you're putting yourself out there among the
1: pool. That was kind of my concern. I said, you know, this is a situation where birth moms had choose. Why would, you know, if someone is wanting to place their child because they feel that they can't give the child something. And and one of the things they may be because they're single, why would they choose someone else who was single to take their child? And that was kind of the, mm-hmm. the roundabout way of the question that I was trying to get at. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And how was that process for you how long did you have to wait and did you get to know the birth mom No, my
1: story was kind of odd and way very very quick Mm. when I say very very quick I mean like my home study was approved on August 19th My daughter was born on August twenty sixth. Wow. I took her home on August twenty ninth. Oh, oh my, my word. Goodness.
2: That like almost so, never wow. happened.
1: <laughs> It, but it was kind of, it was a unique it was a unique situation. Mm. There was kind of a lot of stuff going on. I think it was it was one of those situations where there was a previous placement. It mm-hmm. failed. Mm. And so they were looking to replace it okay. and kind of because honestly, I hadn't even gotten to the point like because I had just gotten my um home study approved, yeah. and I remember it was one of those things, like, you know, one of the last conversations that I had with the social worker when she was finishing up my, like the last visit for my home study is she was like, well, you know, this should be complete and you should be, you know, we should have you officially approved in another week, you know, and she's like, I, but I sometimes warn parents that sometimes things happen quickly. So (laughs) yeah, she's like, technically once your home study is Mm -hmm. approved, you can we can place an infant anytime after that or you're you know you're eligible mm-hmm. and mom can pick you so she's like i would just try to maybe get yeah. a few things ready did you have anything
0: thing?
2: ready
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so based on, that co- like based on that conversation with her, I was like, you know, I was kind of starting, I'm a research kind of yeah. gal. And so I kind of started my research, like trying to figure out what car seat I wanted yeah. to get, trying to figure out what stroller I wanted to get. Like, I think I did like, just because I like live in Target, yeah. like, I think yeah. the next that, the next time I went to Target, right. I bought like, you know, I was in the baby aisle and I was like, "Oh, mm. these little onesies are so cute!" And mm-hmm. so I bought like a, two packs of onesies, and I think I bought a outfit. It was wow. like, a, you know, it was yellow. So <laughs> and, um, and you ended up with a girl, um, a little girl. You know, I was open to boy or yeah, girl. Yeah. So that's why so I bought like so I bought a pack of onesies, you know, a yellow outfit, and one pack of newborn diapers. Oh wow. my goodness! Uh, and a can of formula.
3: Okay, so you get the call. <laughs> And a couple days later, you bring your daughter home.
1: As I mentioned, like Mm -hmm. the hospital group that I worked with did handle a lot of the unassigned babies. Mm -hmm. And so I actually did my daughter's first history and physical. Oh, my goodness. um, so you know, wow. but I, but I didn't know at the time. Like I, you know, and they were you didn't like, know oh, yeah. that that you was going to be your daughter, and you did like just no. you were there as her doctor, <laughs> wow. as her pediatrician. Right. And they were they were like, well, oh yeah, that baby's going to be adopted out, and I was like, oh, okay, well, what agency is, oh, is the goodness. you know is the baby with? And they're like Hannah's Hope, and I was like, oh, you know, I just signed up with them. Wow. And And they're, they're like, I was like, wouldn't it be funny if I took this baby home? They're like, oh, oh. Doctor Hogg, that's hilarious. That would be funny. So I so I saw her that day, mm. but then I was off for the weekend. So okay. literally, like I saw her the first day, and then went home. And yeah. I was supposed to, and then originally I was supposed to be out of town that mm-hmm. weekend. But you know, God knew that yeah. that was supposed to be the time there because, yeah. like, I ended up having to cancel my trip. Okay. And so I get a call from the director of the agency the next day. Um, we might have a baby for you. And she's like, "And you've seen this baby because I see <gasps> your name in the chart." And she explained the kind of what had been going on, with the situation, and why they were in the situation where they had to kind of redo a match. Mm. And so she's like, well, go ahead and, you know, come up to the hospital. I want you to meet the mom. I briefly had talked to the mom when I examined the baby the first day, but of course it was, you know, kind of any questions kind of thing, uh-huh. but you know, in the that was it so i you know went up to the hospital talked to the mom and that went well and then mm-hmm. they were like kind of like well, hang around we're going to talk to her and see what we're going to do and then so they called me back a little later like okay well the mom thinks you'd be a good choice Aww. we need you to go get a car seat we need you to go get a car seat so you can take oh the baby home goodness. i'm like right. wow did we not mention that we needed you to take the baby home today oh sorry Aww. yeah today and what, ki- what kind of emotions were you feeling at that moment? I was like, like, what's funny is I like had like a little mini nervous breakdown in Target. Yeah. Because like, I, I'm i yeah. going to Target and I don't, I'm like, I don't have my notes. I don't have my research. I don't know what. to Right. Begin. And so I'm like in the Target, in the, aisle, in the baby aisle looking, you know, oh. overwhelmed by the car seats, And I'm yeah. like looking there and like this, you know, this very sweet young man comes up who was working there. And he's oh. like, she <laughs> was like, oh, "Ma'am, are you okay?" And I was just like, "I and then like I just start spilling out everything that's <laughs> happening." And I was like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh. oh my god, I don't know what to do with this." And he's just like, "A lot of people like this car seat." Yeah, And, totally <laughs> and he's like. <laughs> And it's on sale, so he's like, "Oh my, goodness. want to just get this one?" <laughs> and I was like, yeah. "Okay." And so he carried, oh. you know, he helped me put it in the basket and carried it yeah. up to the front, and then I, you know, went home with my daughter. And mm-hmm. then, like, so oh as I God. mentioned, I didn't really have anything set up. Like, I had bought a bassinet, but it wasn't mm-hmm. put together yet. So one of the social workers from the agency came. She and her, as my, I remember this because she followed me home with her daughter, and they basically okay. like. Helped me wash bottles because I had bought a pack of bottles, but hadn't, you know, they were still in the box. And so they actually drove home with me and stayed with me for the first like four But they stayed there for about four or five hours while I was trying to get myself together and figure out what to do with the brand new baby that I had that was, they were like, okay, here you go. I realized Mm. that's not the typical story, but my story story,
3: that's really beautiful. It really is. So your daughter is six now.
1: Yes. So Rebecca is, she's six and in kindergarten, she is. And, you know, she has been so happy to go back to Mm in-person school because she is an extrovert. I mean, she is all about like the interacting with people and talking to people and life of the party. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she's a a definite queen bee because she wants Mm -hmm. to be the center of whatever Mm -hmm. attention is there and has a lot of natural leadership skills that hopefully we can channel in a healthy direction because, you know, Mm -hmm. it's one of those like. Yeah. I think some someone on Facebook posted a meme a little while ago like I'm hoping here's hoping that my daughter's sassiness helps her lead a company instead <laughs> of a gang in prison because it's... Like, yeah. You know what? <laughs> I can
2: relate to that <laughs> oh, meme. I oh, have you, one of those yeah, at she, home too. <laughs> she's kind of one of
1: those, we need to make sure yeah. we channel these powers to good because she, mm-hmm. could, yes. she could be a force if she decides to go to the dark side and do some crazy stuff yeah. because she's like right. I said, she's very strong-willed, very opinionated, mm-hmm. very much like, like we'll walk up to a group of even older kids and be like, so this is what we're going to do.
3: Yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. that's awesome!
1: Her first day of school yeah. back this year was actually my work day, and so I told my partners like, "Hey, can I come in like at noon? Because I'm going to take my daughter to school. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how she's going to deal with it. It's a brand new school. I'm worried about her transition. Mm-hmm. Blah 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 blah." I pull up to the school that she has never been in before does not know a single solitary soul, and has no idea where to go. And, you know, after they do <laughs> their little screen, she hops out of the car and takes off. Running. Oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, are you going to say, I'm like, I rolled out the window. Are you going to say goodbye? She just, she didn't even look back. She just waved her hand, Bye. And- oh, wow. <laughs> she was oh, so, my goodness. she was so excited to be around she's, other kids.
2: Yeah. You know, she she's gonna be something when she, she grows is. up. She, she really is. is. So yeah. And I think she's gonna be a force for good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us what's been the best part for you of being an adoptive mom. That's maybe the a unique thing about being single and an adoptive mom. I think
1: in general, and this is just Having listened to my friends who are either married and have kids, adopted children while they were married, or my friends who are single but divorced, so co-parenting, you know, Mm -hmm. honestly, the one really nice thing was being able to kind of like make all the parenting decisions kind of on my own without having to like negotiate Mm -hmm. what you're going to do and this is that and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these different things. That's actually been really nice you know, you come into a relationship and you're, you're kind of like everybody's raised a little bit differently and kind of negotiating parenting styles and all of that. And, you know, not really having to do that. So that was one of the unique things. Mm-hmm. And then also just because it was nice because, you know, for so long it's just the two of us. So it's like kind of us yeah. in the world. And there's a definitely that kind of like, you know, we're in this together. And ask her, who's your best friend? Mommy's my best friend. And so, you know, so yeah. I think
3: a lot of that. So we've interviewed quite a few families, adoptive families that are transracial families. And for you being an African-American woman and having an African-American daughter, what advice or encouragement, what words would you give families just to know how to do it better?
1: The one thing that I think is important if you are doing a transracial adoption, in my opinion, I think you can't. Like, and I know a lot of, in a lot of churches, the predominating view, particularly in a lot of, when you start talking about evangelical churches, the Mm predominating view is like, well, you know, racism is a sin issue, not a skin issue, because everybody talks about that. But I think you can't ignore, and, you know, and they're like, well, we just want to raise people to be colorblind. And, you know, my response Mm -hmm. to people is colorblindness is an Mm -hmm. actual, like, medical condition Kids mm-hmm. see kids see differences between each other. Even if you have a bunch of kids that are all like mm-hmm. white in a room, they notice that their different kids have different hair color and eye color, and like mm-hmm. going to you know, Now they don't usually make a big deal about it, and they don't attach mm-hmm. anything to that. But trying to pretend mm-hmm. that these dis- differences don't exist when mm-hmm. they do, and then when you look at our society, and there's a lot of history and all of these things attached Mm -hmm. to these differences, I think you end up doing a child a disservice by ignoring those differences. Mm -hmm, I think you mm kind of just, one of the things that I see, and I think I've had this conversation with people, I think the people who I've seen who've done transracial adoption in what I would say would be a successful way, Mm -hmm. is they really are intentional about making sure that their child is not the only at whatever they do. Mm. So that means that Mm -hmm. they have friends of their child's race. Their child sees Mm -hmm. them interacting with other professionals of their race. So that their child is not always Mm. the only brown person in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that is where like, I think kids have in turn, like you have a child that's translationally adopted and you talk to them later and they kind of have feel some kind of way about how they grew up. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is just that they spend their life in these spaces where they always feel othered. Mm -hmm. And they're not, they don't know how to, you don't know how to express that when you're a child, particularly when that othering is coming is as a result of people who love you and raised you and did well Mm -hmm. by you. But They still didn't do anything to make you not feel comfortable, like help you feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think back, like, you know, to me, I think you just need to honor, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the best way to show a child that race doesn't matter and race doesn't exist to you is to reflect that in your peer group, reflect that in friendships, reflect that in Mm -hmm. the relationships that you have with people so that your child sees that. Because to say that, But then everybody in your household, Mm -hmm. everybody in your church community, everybody Mm -hmm. in your, everybody that you interact with is Mm -hmm. white and does not look like your child. Your child's not Mm going to, they don't believe that you mean that. Right. Right. And so you have to be intentional about creating Mm -hmm. a community that reflects your child. Many years ago, this is when I still lived in Chicago, my best friend in Chicago, who's a vegetarian. So we end up going out to eat at a lot of ethnic cuisine that has good vegetarian mm-hmm. and good meat. Uh-huh. So like we eat a lot of Indian and Ethiopian stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I remember, and this was like this was years ago before I even like really was thinking about adoption. And we, we were at our favorite Ethiopian restaurant.
3: Cause we, What's we, the name of it? Because I've probably been there. Uh, Ethiopian diamond. Yeah, is it there you
1: go. Ethiopian yeah, diamond. Okay. That's our yeah. spot. <laughs> yeah,
3: it's so good.
1: We were at Ethiopian diamond, and mm-hmm. we were talking, and we noticed this white couple with this obviously Ethiopian child. She was like, she was sitting with a couple. And it was obvious that they went there frequently because she knew, like, Mm -hmm. the girl was walking, like, the waitresses were walking by and she's walking up and hugging Mm -hmm. them. And they would come talking to her and, like, interacting with Mm her. And, like, so my friend and I, because we were just curious, you know, we happened to talk to them afterwards. And they're like, oh, yeah, we, they're like, and they lived in, if, you know, if you're familiar with Chicago, they lived Mm -hmm. in, like, Rockford. Like, they lived way far away Yeah, but they're like, you know, we adopted our daughter from Ethiopia and we made a decision that we were not going to separate her from her culture and people and people that look like her because we didn't want her to Mm. feel like. And so she's like, since she's been a baby, since we've brought her home, Mm -hmm. we come here about once a month. And so she can interact with people. She can see people who look like her. You know, we've asked them questions and tried to get information on stuff. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, at this point, because the little girl is probably about like eight or nine. And she's like, they're Mm -hmm. like family to us. And she's like, wow. we, 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 really drive, cool. we drive in here once a month. And, you know, this is one of our favorite places. It's just we just That is to- why
2: Sasha knows that restaurant because yes. she
3: brings her Ethiopian <laughs> yeah. son and yeah. daughter yeah. there. And it is good food. Yeah, it's really yeah. good food. Yeah, that's a great example of how to keep your child connected with their culture in small ways. But it really, it does, it really means a lot to them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, and that's like, really powerful. And like powerful. I said, and I, I just think the other big thing is, and that I, that I, you know, and I, I do
1: see a lot of people who try to do that. Okay. I want to keep them connected to their culture, but then it's like, you don't reflect that in your relationships either. And I, yeah. that's what you, right. you need to see more of, mm-hmm. you know,
3: friends, you have friends, you, have friends from, all yeah.
1: different, right? you know, cause I can ask yes. my daughter, you know, uh-huh. and that's just because, I have friends of all different races. So, you know, mm-hmm. she has a lot of people she, she calls, you know, auntie this and auntie that. You know, we have Mexican Aww. friends. We have white friends. We have, you know, we have all kinds of different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grown up that way. Mm-hmm. So it won't yeah. ever be odd to her to see people of whatever mm-hmm. group or ethnic. Yeah. Because she's kind of grown up like that.
0: This episode is brought to you in part and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org.
3: What encouragement or advice would you give to a single woman who's thinking about adoption but, you know, maybe her community's saying, "Well, you're crazy." Or, "Are you sure?" You know, I will say, I put it off for mm-hmm. probably about 6
1: or 7 years. Yeah. Before I actually did it. But and why
2: did you put it off?
1: I just didn't think the time was right. This wasn't right yeah. for my career. This wasn't perfect. This mm-hmm. wasn't the way I wanted it. And my finances weren't where mm-hmm. I wanted them to be. Like, it was always some random excuse. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I moved and I just moved somewhere. I didn't know enough people. I mean, so it was always mm-hmm. something. What mm-hmm. I typically will say to people is two things. One, that... Honestly, you there is no good time to have a baby. Right. Like yeah. even there's the, no perfect time. Yeah. No perfect time. There's absolutely mm-hmm. no perfect time. And if you know, if you're waiting for the stars to align for everything to be perfect, it's not gonna ever happen. Yeah. And what so whatever time you think you want to do it, just go ahead and do it. Because uh-huh. having a baby, particularly if you're a single person and throwing a baby into the mix, it's going to completely upend in your life and switch around yeah. everything anyway, no matter yeah. when yeah. you do it. So it's right. irrelevant yes. what's currently going on in your life because having a baby <laughs> into that yeah. is so it's, it's completely going to throw everything, you know, and sometimes yeah. for the better, but it's going to mm-hmm. completely change everything in your life no matter what time you decide mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing was, and I think this was what The thing I was most concerned about, but that ended up Mm -hmm. kind of not being a concern, which is I was worried because, like I said, I didn't live by family and I was Mm -hmm. worried about, you know, having support and community. And I think kids tend to create community. So even when you Mm -hmm. don't think that you have community, like Some of the people who have been most helpful in like raising my daughter and being there for her and taking Mm -hmm. care of her and our people who I never, some of them I barely knew before I adopted my Mm -hmm. daughter. And they're now like family members. And and then like I said, church members, like it's just, it was a combination of people who just kind of came out of the woodwork and helped. And like I said, nurses nurses at the hospital. I
2: love that. I love that. Because I do think that, like you said, there's a, when you have a child, they, they do kind of create a community. People are drawn in, and that becomes sort of like a village that you may not have had before, and we all need that village. And I wanted to ask you about how churches can be more supportive to, you know, adoptive families and, and single parents who are adopting. What would you say would be things that the church can do, or
1: maybe are already doing, I think it depends on the church and a lot of churches I think are already doing that. It's just, you know, being there for those parents, because I do think particularly with in the case of single moms, and this is whether you adopt or even if you're just a single mom for other reasons, it is really stressful with a child sometimes because you don't have anyone else to do that. And it's not even, I mean, sometimes money is an issue too, but I think the biggest stressor is just everything for that one child is totally on you. And you don't don't get a break. You don't get a break. It's a huge emotional stressor. So having people who can step in and say, you know, hey, Mm -hmm. I see you're stressed out. Do you want us to keep the baby so you can Mm -hmm. go to church, go to this ministry meeting, something else, go get your nails done. Just go walk around and...
3: Go to, and go to Target by yourself. By
1: yourself. <laughs> I remember one Sunday I was, I was just like super stressed out. Not necessarily about parenting. It was just a lot of stuff going on in my life. Yeah. And someone came over to me and said, you know, I'll take the, I'll take her. And just, and they sat mm. there and like, so I could go in the corner and cry and get myself together. Yeah. And mm. just simply doing something like that, when you see people are mm-hmm. kind of on the edge, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, like like I said, my small group spontaneously had a a baby shower for me. That's really nice and unexpected, Um, you know. And then so right around the time that I moved and bought a house, and my daughter was about two then when I did that. And so I actually ended up switching to this very, very large church that was kind of— I like the church, I like the ministry, but it was a little overwhelming because it's like kind of Mm -hmm. mega church, like 4,000 members, and it's very imposing, but one of their strengths is they have so many things for families and children. And so mm-hmm. that was a strength. And then like mm-hmm. I ended up deciding to join the choir. And I remember like when I was talking to the choir director and he was telling me kind of like, well, we have rehearsal on this day and this time and this is what goes on. And I said, Well, maybe I can't join the choir because I said I, that's a little bit much and I'm a single mom. And he's mm-hmm. like, Oh bring her. That's fine plenty of people bring their oh her. That's awesome. She's just, he's just like, you know, it's fine. There's always a bunch of kids hanging around. We usually just put them in the back. Someone just kind of keeps an eye on them. They do whatever. We just try to get them to stay quiet. And so it really that's was great. like that made it, you know, things, I think that's a big thing that people can do in churches. trying to.
0: Mm -hmm. Not
1: make people who are particularly single mothers feel like they're not welcome to do certain things because their children aren't welcome or feel like their children are, they can't bring children with them. Because sometimes as a single mom, you know, you don't have the money to like. You would want to participate yeah. something, but you don't have the money to pay for a babysitter once a week. Mm-hmm.
2: We always love to ask our guests what message of hope, that's sort of the theme of our podcast, mm-hmm. that in the hard and the in the challenging times that our hope is from God. And so we love to ask our guests, like, what message of hope do you have that you've maybe experienced in your own life, in your own experience? that you would like to pass along to our listeners?
1: If, you know, if this is something that's put on your heart, that God's placed there a parent to parent, fo- whether it's to foster or adopt, don't be afraid mm. to embrace that, however that looks. Even when kind of it seems like it's not going to make sense and it's going to be difficult or, you know, not work mm. out, um, you know, you can still do it. You can do, you know, you and I think... You know, my message would be just, you know, embrace what God has for mm-hmm, you for mm-hmm. adoption, whether it's, you know, like I said fostering, adopting, do it without fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, don't I think a lot of people try to figure out, well, I don't know how I'm gonna make this work. Mm-hmm. Like God put this on your heart. So it'll work out. Yeah. Like it'll stuff will happen. It'll eventually work out because, you know, in my case, like, you know, I'm an older first time mom, which that that's kind of crazy in and of itself. And, you know, and I have a fairly demanding job Mm -hmm. and still have a kid by myself. So all of those things, you know, normally you'd be like, "Eh, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure this is going to work, but I think it was really strongly something that I felt I should do and that Mm -hmm. time was right. And so I just think don't ignore that. And I do think in a lot of ways, I kind of ignored it for longer than I should. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, like, just embrace that. Yeah. If that's something that is for you and that God has placed on your heart, just do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised at how much things kind of fall into place mm-hmm. and it works out. And that community just kind of springs up. And then, you know, and your situation may change. And, like, and my situation mm-hmm. is kind of drastically different now than when I, you know, first started because, like, you know, I'm— about to get engaged what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's exciting so, congratulations. congratulations
1: that's, that's super so, exciting um, Rebecca will soon have like you know a dad mm. and a you know a little brother because uh, my soon to be fiance has a joint custody Aww. of his he has a three year old so yeah so you know it's and, so that's different that, now, yeah. too. So, and thank
2: you so much for being yeah. with us. I feel like it's been fun to yeah. hear about your journey and get to know your daughter through it as well. Yeah. such an honor
3: to meet you. Bless you, yes, and thank God you bless. so much. All right. you. Thanks. So thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. We've got this hope, we've got a future. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment and help us spread the word. Share about it on social media, or leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. Adopting Hope is a production of Christianity Today. It was produced by
2: Mike Cosper, Joyce Dalrymple, and Sasha Parker. It was edited and mixed by Alex Carter. Our theme song, We've Got This Hope, was by Ellie Holcomb. We'll
3: be back next week with another story. Thanks for listening.
0: We've got this hope. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.